Please open your Bible to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Our gracious Father, we come into your presence once again, thanking you for this privilege to study your word. I pray, O oh God, that, we would, that you would help us to understand, grant us clarity of mind, lead us by your Spirit. May we behold the wonderful things out of your law. And Lord, as the psalmist have prayed, search us, O oh God, and, and know our heart. Test us and, and, and know our concerns. See if there's any offensive way in us. Lead us in the everlasting way. So we pray for all those things, Father. Lord, that you would speak to us. And we give you praise. Our desire is to magnify our Savior, Jesus Christ, as we study your word. We pray for all these things in the presence of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. The question is, as, as we start this sermon, how is your thought life? How wholesome are the secret thoughts of your hearts? The real, the real you is not the person other people see. It's not the person who comes to church every week with a smile and takes notes and even tries to keep up a religious, religious appearance. The real you is the person only God sees. That is what I want to talk to you about this afternoon. Romans chapter 12 is a very familiar text. I decided to do this because as I counsel people and talk to men in particular, one of the biggest difficulties men these days struggle with is keeping up your mind and sometimes the practical issues with internet pornography. Uh, as we are fully aware, they're readily available on smartphones, uh, tablets, uh, on TV, as long as it has internet. And it's accessible to us 24-7. There are these temptations that assault us all, and, and I've come to conclude that probably in our culture, in our time, it's one of the number one sins that people struggle with continually. A well-known Christian apologist uh, died in, in May 2020. Uh, it was confirmed by their organization recently that there is convincing, incredible evidence that this apologist engaged in sexual misconduct over the course of many years. And a full report from outside investigation is to be released this, this month. A megachurch pastor in, in New York had immoral relationships with uh, multiple women uh, for years and years. Just last week during our men's Bible study, Pastor Junior mentioned and shared a story of a, a worship leader who had immoral relationships with multiple women in different churches from their previous church. Personally, I, I, I know a pastor who, uh, that is near to me, uh, five, six years ago, uh, was removed from his role because, again, due to immoral relationship in his church. And this is becoming common within churches now. I hope that it will stop. It is my prayer, not that's just not just the church leaders, not just pastors, not just elders, but every man of God. So my plead with you is that pray for me as your pastor. 
that by God's grace I will not fall into this kind of sin. Also pray for your, for your husbands. Pray for your brothers in Christ. Pray for our, for our purity. I, I think this is a, a good conversation, a great conversation to have with your spouse. That you should be concerned of your husband's purity. And I hope that you would take that time and the courage and the boldness to, to have this uh, difficult conversation with your, with your husband. So, I, I really want us to pray. I, I mean, Satan is busy ruining and targeting man today. And the, the challenge I have for you is, will you commit to pray today? Will you commit for your spouse? Will you commit for your pastor and for the leaders of this church? Will you dedicate your time to pray this year for the purity of, of, your, of your brothers here in our Resolve Bible Church? So I want to talk about being transformed by the renewing of your mind from Romans chapter 12. Of verse 2. The, the best gauge of your character is what you do when you are alone. Your private behavior and your private thoughts. Genuine holiness is a state of the heart and therefore the law of God was given to govern the heart first. In the Ten Commandments, every one of those commandments speaks to an issue of the heart. Even those that govern our behavior speak to the heart first. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 and 28, You have heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a, a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It, it's really about lust in your heart. It, 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 it's not just the act of adultery that, that's evil, it's the thought of it. Jesus said it's essentially the same sin, it's the same kind of guilt, not necessarily the same degree of sin, but certainly the same kind of guilt. The Old Testament also thought that sin is not merely a question of external actions. It stems from what, what takes place inside your mind are, are the things that defile you uh, the most. In the book of Mark chapter 7 verse 20 through 23, and he said, What comes out of a person is, is what defiles him. For from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, theft, uh, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, Deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. Notice the list, not only sins of thought, but sins of action as well. All of them stem from the heart, it is what you think about. Notice that even in this context, when he lists the sins, Jesus is talking about the thoughts that give birth to acts. Those evil thoughts, Jesus says, come from within, and that's what defiles us the most. He's also saying that every evil act begins with evil uh, thinking. Murder doesn't spring from a pure heart. It's a product of envy or hatred or some other evil thought. Fornication and adultery are the fruit of lustful thoughts. Whenever someone transgresses the purity of the marriage relationship or disregards the marriage vows or dishonors his body with, a, uh, with an active fornication, that person entertains sin first on the inside. His thought life nurtured in the mind. See, he, he's able to commit sexual sin because Everything was nurtured in his mind. He was thinking about it here. He was playing with fire in, in, in his mind. When he sees that woman, when he sees that images on the computer or on the screen, before he can fall into that, uh, that, that act, 
everything started here in his mind. You see, the person who willfully entertains evil thoughts, who deliberately enjoys uh, lustful thoughts in his mind, that person will eventually commit evil acts. That person basically has no defense when temptation attacks him, and, and he will sin. You see, you can't keep evil thoughts bottled up forever. Jesus said they defile the man, and he meant they defile the whole man, and, and they certainly bear the fruit of evil behavior because a corrupt tree cannot bring forth good fruit in Matthew chapter 7, verse 18. You see, Jesus spent his entire ministry teaching them the real you is what takes place inside. It's the you that only God sees because only God can see the heart. And I want to encourage you as you listen to take note of the following passages as you study in regards to how to do this with your mind. And you need this doctrine. You need this theology. So I want to encourage you once again to um, grab a, a pen and paper or even with your phone, write these verses down. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his stature because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible. Listen, but the Lord sees the heart. You see, God, God judges you according to what you are really like in the recesses of your heart. First Chronicles 28, verse 9, the first part of First Chronicles. As for you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him wholeheartedly and with a willing mind. Listen, for the Lord searches every heart and understands the intention of every thought. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10. I, the Lord, examine the mind. I test the heart to give to each according to his way, according to what his actions deserve. You see, God sees all your thoughts, and he judges accordingly. The psalmist said this in a familiar song. If you recall, when we were studying Psalm 139, in 139 says 1 through 4, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. God is, in the rest of that chapter, as you would see if, when you read it, and you see how God, is, God knows us personally, and He knows us intimately. For He has created us in such amazing way. And see, we will be accountable to God for our secret thoughts, not just for our external actions or for our external works. In Luke chapter 12, verse 1, 2, and 3, and it reads, Meanwhile, a crowd of many thousands came together so that they were trampling on one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Be on your guard against the living of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing covered that would be uncovered, nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in an ear in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. In other words, you can't keep your secret thoughts secret forever. You see, God already knows your heart so well that by the time a word is formed on your tongue, He knows it all together. That's what 1 Psalm 139 is saying. And according to the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 2, verse 16, On the day when God judges what people have kept secret according to my gospel through Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. So don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will bring, both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts. 
and then praise will come to each one from God. What a sobering thought. Whatever you thought or done in secret is going to be exposed one of these days. Everything will be revealed. Everything that you have thought, everything that you have done, it will be revealed. What, what, what takes place secretly in your mind is in some ways the most important thing about you. It, it, it is the barometer of, of your characters. It, it, it's a gauge of your true uh, spiritual health. So the question again, so how is your thought life? How you, how you expect to fare at the judgment seat of Christ when, you, when your private thoughts are brought to light and you are called to give an account for each, every one of them. John MacArthur, and I recommend this book John, uh, by John MacArthur, the, the Vanishing Conscience. And he says this, No sin is more destructive to the conscience than the sin that takes place in the, in the arena of the mind. Sins of the mind assault the conscience like no other sins because the conscience is their only deterrent. See, once you get into the habit of uh, indulging in this kind of sin, it can be a snare to you at any moment of the day or night. It doesn't matter where you are, whatever you're doing. I mean, if you want to be holy, if you want to be sanctified, if you want to be conformed to the image of Christ and glorify Him in your life, the place where the transformation must begin is in the inner man, in the mind in particular. See, when you are constantly thinking and nurturing those evil thoughts in your mind, it can be a snare to you at any moment. Whether you are in a prayer meeting, in a Bible studies, in a church as you are listening, if you're not careful, your mind is going, going somewhere else. And what an opportunity for you to just stop and pray and consider what's going on in your mind. Perhaps you're distracted. The Apostle Paul spoke particularly and repeatedly about the renewing of our mind in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24. It says, to, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted, corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Very clear, it is a transformation that needs to take place and each one of us must begin in the mind, in our thought, our lives. Sanctification is first and foremost a process of thought renewal, a mind renewal. So as we turn our attention to the book of Romans chapter 12, particular verse 2, I want to focus in particular on this idea of renewed mind. A renewed mind. Paul writes in Romans 12 verse 2, says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And just a quick background or context of this passage, Paul had just completed 11 chapters of the most intense doctrinal instructions. 11 chapters along series of theological instructions. Paul talks about, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, talks about sin and the problem of human depravity. In chapters 3 to 5, he talks about doctrine of justification. In chapters 6 and 7, he talks about doctrine of sanctification and the believer's struggle with sin. In chapter 8, he talks about the security of the believer. 
In chapter 9, he talks about election and the sovereignty of God. In chapters 10 and 11, the role of Israel and the eschatological future. You see, Paul is dealing with objective doctrinal themes for 11 chapters, and then beginning in chapter 12, he, he, he turns to the issue of uh, practical application. I mean, this is a major turning point in, in this important letter, and from this point on chapter 12, verse 1, and through the end of the book, the letter takes on a new tone, and, and Apostle Paul here is concerned with and what he's concerned with is, is uh, putting to work in our daily lives the truths that he taught us in the first 11 chapters. So if you had a chance, if you have a chance to study the book of Romans, see chapter 1 through 11 and see what Paul is talking about. And how he wants us to respond. So this is Paul's way. It's always uh, doctrine first and then application. It's not about all about applications. See, uh, don't get into much detail in regards to what I just want to learn the, the application. So, no, you need doctrine. You need theology before you can apply the truth in your lives. Doctrine first and then application. What doctrine does, it, it, it teaches us how to think rightly about God. And, and the result of that is right what? It's godly behavior. Not moral behavior, but godly behavior. So don't ever think that doctrine is not practical. In fact, all doctrine has a practical implication, and apart from sound doctrine, a practical teaching can be downright dangerous. You see, Apostle Paul gives us, in this practical exhortations, are the fruits of salvation, the outworking of God's justifying and sanctifying work in each every one of us. Here is how redeemed people are supposed to live. See, as you have taken and, and studied the, 11, the first 11 chapters, and Paul now is telling us, look, now that as redeemed, as I present you this theology and this doctrine, and this is how you're supposed to live your life. And as, you, as we look at our attention to verse 1 of chapter 12, it says, therefore, the word therefore, says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, in light of God's gracious, justifying and sanctifying work on your behalf. It says, therefore, in light of everything we talk about for 11 chapters, therefore, since you've been united with Christ in his death and, and resurrection, Paul says it's only wise, it's only logical that you render your bodies as a what? As a living sacrifice for God. A living sacrifice to God. But notice, this is important, not only does Paul cause us to present our bodies to God, the Apostle Paul commands us to renew our minds for God. And you can't separate the two. Listen, in Romans 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Notice that there are two ways in our minds can be influenced. First, we can either be influenced from the outside by the world through worldly pressure that conforms us to a, wor to a worldly standard. Or, second, we can be transformed from the inside out through the renewing of our minds. See, whether you realize it or not, one of those two things is currently happening to you. You're either passively allowing the world to conform you to its own evil desire or evil standard. If you're actively renewing your mind by being transformed into greater and greater Christ-likeness, if you're not renewing your mind in Christ, you are being conformed to the world. You are being conformed to the world. And so number one, I want us to look at this. Do not be conformed to this world. Conform means to 
squeezed or molded or shaped by outside external pressure. Referring to the present, the, the word age, it's referring to the world system now dominated by Satan, the god of this world, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. So what it's saying in, in this is that don't allow the world to squeeze you into its own mold, but rather, rather be remolded. Have your minds remolded from within, your minds remolded from within. We must not pattern ourselves or, or allow ourselves to be patterned after the spirit of the age, of the culture that we live in today. We must not become victims of this age. We are to stop allowing ourselves to be fashioned after the present evil age in which we live. Tragically, you, you begin to think and live more like the evil world systems uh, under the control of the evil one than you do to Christ. Now, someone might think it's, it's a warning to true believers. Are authentic Christians, are authentic believers susceptible to worldly pressure? Is it even possible for you, as a genuine believer, to be conformed to this world? Is it possible for a Christian to be conformed to the world? And the answer is what? Yes. In a temporary and temporal sense, we are susceptible to worldly uh, uh, pressures. See, many Christians give in, given into that pressure to conform. When you're not careful, when you're with your friends or with your loved ones or, or at work or at school, if you're not careful, you know what? Perhaps my pastor is not here, my, my church my church families are not here, so you know what? I'll go ahead and uh, let's go and, and let's do, and do those things. If you're not careful, in Psalm chapter one, we are called to what? We are blessed. Blessed are the people. Blessed are the believers who are not conforming to the things of the world. They're not hanging out. They're not doing the things of, of, of this world. See, church, we are called to be different. You and I are called to be different. We are called to be light, and we're called to be uh, a salt in this world. We have to be different. People have to see that we are indeed a follower of Christ. And there's a problem if they cannot differentiate between the two. We are not to be like them. We are to be apart or set apart from the world. Because of His grace and mercy, no Christian will be permanently conformed to this world. And that's a, that's a blessing in itself. Even at times that we struggle, that, in, that we have given up or we have given in to, to the things of the world. As a follower of Christ, if you have if you have confessed and repented of your sins, even though we're susceptible to the pressures of the world, know this, that we will not fully conform or permanently to the world. Romans chapter 8 verse 29 says this to us, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. 1 John chapter 3 verse 2. Dear friends, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet been revealed. 
we know that when, when he appears, we will be like him because he will see him as he is. One of the marks of a true Christian is that he resists being conformed to this world, the, the struggles against our worldly influences, and he seeks to purify himself like Christ is pure. And yet, both Scripture and experience teach us that even true believers can for a time, listen, can for a time be susceptible to worldly influences. The peculiar failing of our generation, the church. The church is filled with people, including many Christian leaders, who, who seem to think that the church ought to strive to be as much like the world. That's a problem. That's a big problem. And, and so we see multitudes of people today who profess to be Christians who are being conformed to the world. And in some cases, it seems like deliberately, so they want to be as much like the world, if possible. You see, we're not supposed to immerse ourselves of the same kind of entertainment. We're not supposed to follow all the same fads. We're not supposed to have all the same interests. And it is to our spiritual disadvantage it's one of the reasons the testimony of the church in the world today is so weak. Because we, as Christians, rather than renewing your mind with God's word and in prayer, you're conforming to the world, to this age. I mean, that's what this world is telling us now. I mean, the last couple of years. And even now, as we, we're in this new year, a new administration in our government, a new president, a new administration. And they want us to conform to their ideas. Right? And that's something that you would expect. If you don't conform to them, you will be what? You'll be persecuted. You'll be humiliated. And we see that in, in, in social media today. We see that everything else, if, you, if you're not conforming to their desires or to conform to their ideas and beliefs, they will harm you. They will remove you. And that's okay. As long as we're not conforming to their ideas and their beliefs, we're renewing our mind into the scripture. How important it is for us, church, to be, to be faithful in what God has called us to be. And being a light and being a salt. So when evil people see us different from them, they will glorify, they will see our Heavenly Father, and He will be glorified. I hope and pray that you would take that opportunity. That you as a believer, you as a follower of Christ, that you are not conforming to the things of the world. R remember, you cannot love this temporal world and all its fads and fashion and still be a friend of God. You just can't do it. We have to continue to resist being conformed to this world. This is a commandment. So my challenge to you, church, as a follower of Christ, if you're professing to be a Christian, and heed, heed and follow this, I, I urge you. And just like Paul says, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, do not be conformed to this world. And he's commanding us. Not to be like the world. We are to be different. We need to really renew our mind and, and, and have a sanctified mind. Again, we have to continue to resist being conformed. Live your life truly as a follower of Christ. 
Let them enjoy those things, but we have a responsibility to continue to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to them. But we are not to partake in their ways. Number two, be, re, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And here, Paul uses a different word, transform. That word is used at one time in all of the Gospels, namely about Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration, the mountain of transformation. Same word, metamorphose. And, and, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and, and his clothes became white as as light in Matthew chapter 17, verse 2. Kind of like a caterpillar turns into a what? A beautiful butterfly. Metamorphosis. Transform means to radically alter by an inward process. This spiritual metamorphosis takes place by a continuous making new of your mind. You see, the greatest spiritual battles are fought in the mind. Here is your titanic conflict that will determine the course of your life. And Paul used, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, used the same very word. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord and who is the Spirit. The question is, how does this happen? Again, the language in Romans is most expressive because our text says we are to be transformed. It's a passive imperative. It's a command. So this must be done by someone or something else, which is, of course, the Holy Spirit. So although we are to, uh, we are to aspire to this outward change, it can be accomplished only, listen, it can only be accomplished by the Holy Spirit working in us, by, by our being filled with the Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. See, we are to submit. We are to submit to the Holy Spirit who brings about the renewing of your mind. We also understand from the present tense of the verb that this is a process, a, a gradual transformation. The Christian is to allow himself to be changed continually so that his life conforms more and more to that of Christ. Ultimately, as Romans 8.29 says, uh, there will be the supreme metamorphosis when we will be transformed to the image of Christ in eternity. Again, church, as you desire to be transformed and to be changed and to be renewed, it's not an overnight thing. Rather, it's a long process. And this is what we see. It's a gradual transformation. But the very fact that you desire to be changed and to be transformed and being led by the Spirit of God, it's a great thing. Right? That's important for us to understand. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind might be transfigured. Be transfigured, it says this. Uh, we will never be truly transformed without this renewing of our mind. That's what this is, an imperative. It, it, it's a command. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think uh, differently. See, the transformed and renewed mind is the mind saturated and controlled by the Word of God. How important it is for us to be grounded in the Word of God. And that's how we're able to, to be transformed and being renewed. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, it is the mind that is set on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. <coughs> Thinking heavenly, not with the things of this world. And so church, now that's doctrine. That's theology. So we, as Paul covered the first 11 chapters about doctrine, <coughs> and now let's talk about applications. 
Right, so now you understand the theology. And the question, and the question is, yes, but how? How can we deal with the problem of evil thoughts? You, you know, you, you want to overcome and you want to deal with these evil thoughts in your, in your mind and in your heart. The question is how? <coughs> the process is like crushing any other sin. It involves taking the following steps. So I'm going to give you some practical steps toward victory in your thought life. This is what you need to be doing if you want to be uh, transformed by the renewal of your mind. You have to be intentional. You have to be purposeful. You, you, you can't sit in, on the sideline and, and be passive. You have to be proactive. You have to be, you, you, you have to be committed to have a, a sanctified and renewed mind. That's something that you have to commit to. So the first thing I want us to look at is this. Number one, confirm your salvation. You have to confirm your salvation. Paul is writing to Christians here. It says, and he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, his audience are believers. But if you're not a Christian... You need soul renewal before you can work in mind renewal. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, give diligence to make your calling and election. Sure, if you struggle continually with evil thoughts, if you have no interest in the things of the Lord, it may be that you've never been truly converted, even if you profess to be a Christian. Because we have no power apart from the grace of God to renew our minds. If you're not a genuine believer, if you have never truly embraced Christ as Savior and repented from your sin in the depths of your soul, you simply cannot renew your own mind. What you need is a new heart. Romans chapter 8, verse 7 and 8 says this, the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You see, we simply cannot, by sheer force of our own wills, change our nature. So if you've ever been born again, what you really need is a new heart. If you have not come to know Christ as your Savior and Lord, and if you haven't surrendered your life before God, what you really need is a new heart because a, a corrupt tree cannot bring forth good fruit. That's in Matthew chapter 7, verse 18. So apart from a total new birth, you'll never be able to renew your mind. So examine yourselves to see whether you're truly in the faith. And if you're not a Christian, and you've never been born again, what you need is salvation. You need to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and ask God for His forgiveness. Repent of your sins. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, For, who, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I hope wherever you are at this very moment, right now, if you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, Surrender your life to Him. Call out to Him. And he will, your, he will hear your cry. He will hear your prayers. Because again, the scripture reminds us, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. You see, church, my friends, Christ made that provision possible by living a perfect life and, die, and dying in our place on the cross. And He promises those who believe that they will be united with Him by faith and given a new heart. So that's the gospel. That's the starting point. The second thing is, clear your conscience. The, the next step towards renewing your mind is clearing your conscience because impure thoughts defile the conscience. Yet, to pray as King David prayed in Psalm 51 verse 10. And he says this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So he's praying that there for a clear conscience. 
The question is, how do you clear your conscience? Repent deeply and sincerely of your sins. Don't hide secret sins away from the light of truth. Bring them all out and deal with them thoroughly because if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. And when you truly deal with your sin and lay hold of God's pardoning grace, you will hear the echo of God's pardoning mercy in your conscience. And then having repented of your sin, you need to make right what needs to be, right, to be made right with people. Another thing when you look at this is make a list of your sins and systematically uh, uh, set out to seek the forgiveness of those whom you have offended or sinned against. Right? Again, like I said, this is hard, this is difficult, but yet it's important, it's needed for your own spiritual life. Make restitution in cases where restitution can be made and make right whatever damage your sins may have done. That may be a long process. It's never an easy process, but once you devote yourself to it and start the process, your conscience will speak approval. This one thing alone will do more than anything I know to deter you from sin and of sin of thinking evil thoughts. And of course, inform your conscience with the scripture with the word of God, meditate on his truth. Surrender your conscience to the truth of scripture and that will become deterrence to turn evil thoughts. Number three, continue steadfastly in prayer. In Romans chapter 12, verse 11 and 12, 11 and 12 says this, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. So Paul tells us we should not be lagging in diligence before, but in, in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, in, in patient tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Prayer is a great deterrent to evil thoughts. It, it's a little hard to indulge in, in, in impure uh, fantasies when you're directing your mind towards the Lord. I mean, you know how prayer works. But if you haven't been praying enough, or if you haven't been fervent in your prayer, and if you've given up, don't stop. Keep praying. Keep seeking God's grace. Keep going to the throne of grace. God invites us to come boldly and courageously to the throne of grace. He, he knows your sin, and he, he, knows them, he knows you intimately. And He longs to hear from you and, and, and from me. This is one way for us to, to stop in having these evil thoughts. When those evil thoughts come, we ought to be praying. I mean, I'm sure you could remember a time when, when you just indulged, when you just nurtured those thoughts in your minds. And guess what happened? From temptation to sin. I mean, let this habit replace uh, some of your old evil, habitual ways of thinking when evil thoughts present itself. Be in prayer. Constantly in prayer. Pray wherever you are. Pray even now. This is how you're able to reprogram your, your mind so that evil thoughts don't continually arise. And that's something that you need to really look into in your life. How is your prayer life? I have a brother who calls me on his way home. Uh, uh, on his way home from work. So he could avoid being idle, being, being, in, 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 a, uh, being in a situation where he could sin. So he calls me and we pray together on the phone. Asking God, pleading God that his mind will be renewed, that his mind is be thinking about heavenly things. Number four, commit to holiness 
in your private life. That's speaking of something that must take place in private. It's not something you can do in the three or four hours of being at church or listening to, uh, to sermons. Learn to cultivate holiness in solitude. That's the most important aspect of your spiritual growth. I mean, fellowship groups, Bible studies, uh, discipling relationships, they all have their place. The one-on-one -on -one discipleship, the accountability, all those things have its place. No aspect of your spiritual life is more important than your own private pursuit of holiness. If you're not doing that, none of the other things will do you any good. You have to be committed to that. By the way, pursuing holiness in private, if you're not committed to it, no amount of accountability or fellowship could possibly help you in the long run. Everyone else is simply wasting time trying to disciple you if you're not willing to cultivate holiness in your own uh, private life. Yes, even when you're praying with someone, even though you're reading scripture with someone, you're attending Bible study, all those things, you have all this accountability. But if you're not pursuing holiness in your own private time, in your own private life, it's going to be difficult. I mean, you, you cannot be accountable for every moment, and you know, eventually you'll, you'll be alone. And it's in, in those moments of solitude, when you are in secret, that your true character reveals itself. Right? What does that look like for us today? What's that look like for you? If you're involved with discipleship and you know, perhaps you're thinking, you know, I, I need to be right. I need to go see a pastor. I need to see an elder to, to, to talk about my, my sin. I, I, I want freedom from this sin. I want accountability. But in your, when you're alone, it, it, that's where it's important for you to really have this and, and ready to fight the sin in your life. You see, you need to devote yourself to the pursuit of godliness in those private times. Cultivate the fear of God and, and learn to be ashamed of what God sees falling forth from your heart. It will do, it will do more good than anything I know, more to cleanse your heart from evil thoughts, to help in the process of renewing your mind. I mean, there are many or thousand practical ways this works out when you, when you find yourself alone with nothing to do. Don't just jump in the couch and flip on the remote and watch a TV for hours or even on your laptop or even on your smart devices, whatever you have. Don't be in a passive mode, right? Instead of wasting time on those things, and it's not helping you in your spiritual growth, it's not helping you uh, grow closer to your Savior Jesus Christ, instead, instead, right? Instead, re read something edifying or look for something good to do that will help others, right? Listen to a podcast of, good, of some good preaching, some faithful preaching. Uh, keep a journal. Find ways to fill your leisure time with things that edify your mind. And when you go to bed at night, bring something edifying uh, for your mind to contemplate in the dark. Maybe, maybe a Bible verse or memorizing. You can meditate on the psalmist said, When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. A set before us what's so great about being a student of theology. I said there are 1,000 good things to meditate on in the, in the dark when you can sleep at night. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Listen. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, 
listen, dwell on these things. It says, fill your mind with pure thoughts. And above all, if you want to pursue holiness in your private life, right? Memorize, meditate on scripture. Do something, read God's word, and, 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 and act on it. And perhaps make some cards or use your phone, your smartphone, to remind you to study the Word of God, to memorize God's Word. The, use something that teaches you to study the Word of God. Again, you, you have to decide. To do this is something you do. It, it's not something that happens if, if you're passive. You have to decide to do this. You have to commit yourself to it, and you and you to start doing it when your mind is clear, and when you're not already being assaulted by lust or evil thoughts. You have to be proactive because if you try to take a passive approach, or if you think you can simply react to temptations by deciding to meditate on Scripture, when an evil thought arises, you will fail, and it's already what. Too late. See, to fill your mind with righteousness and start meditating before evil thoughts have a chance to assault your mind. You know what, my friends, it, it, it takes diligence. It takes discipline. But that is exactly what the Apostle Paul is calling us here when he tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And my, and my prayer for you today is this, is that you will learn to lean on Jesus Christ, that you will, learn, you will learn to lean on Him for that grace so that you can be genuinely transformed from the inside out by the renewing of your mind. In Psalm 19, King David ended, Ended Psalm 19 with this, his great eulogy to the sufficiency of Scripture with these words. And I, will, I want to live with you with these words in Psalm 19, verse 12 through 14. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That is the state of mind of every truly godly person. It is also the goal of biblical instruction in 1 Timothy 1 verse 5 says, Love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Again, the question is, how is your thought life? Let's close in prayer. Father, by your mercy, by your grace and the gospel, you would receive our bodies today as a living sacrifice. Like we lay our lives down on the altar before you right now. Acknowledging we are yours. Make us holy, we pray. Make us acceptable to you. Make us righteous. Oh Lord, make us pleasing to you. Our Father, may we not make a mistake. That we offer you not just our songs. We offer you our lives as our worship. And I pray, Father, that you would change us, that you would transform us. Grant us the ability, dear Lord, that help us not to be conformed to this age. Please transform us by the renewal of our minds. By the renewal of our minds, Lord, according to your word according to your ways, according to your truth, according to your grace. 
and your wisdom. Oh Lord, I pray. Please, Lord, transform us like our Savior Jesus Christ. Change us like Jesus Christ. Oh, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for this day. Lord, help us to be acceptable and good. And Lord, and that we would desire more of you in our lives. We thank you for all these things. In the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. And everyone said, Amen and Amen.